physical and spiritual. <laughs> Just a few of his own, but, but so many spiritual children, you probably lost count. And uh, spiritual children, spiritual grandchildren, uh, just that he ha and, and Marilyn have poured into and poured into and poured into and invested in. And uh, my wife and I have had the privilege now of knowing them for about a decade, and our lives are the better for it. We have been blessed. We've been enriched. We are so proud to have you in our house again today. Would you guys welcome Tony and Marilyn as he comes and he ministers the word this morning? Woo! Yeah! There you are, my friend. Give him heaven. Thank you. Ah, good morning. Good morning. Lovely little rainy morning, and it's great. I was just, uh, thanks, Kevin, for, and uh, family and guys just for inviting us, opening up the church and the weekend to us. We just really enjoyed just being here, and uh, we love these guys. We feel like we've known one another forever, don't we? You know, I mean, it almost is. Yeah, unforgettable experience. But uh, it really is a joy to be back in Belleville. I've seen a few of you before and a few of you over the last few days. But uh, it is a real privilege. I was just, while we were singing some songs there, I was just um, sitting there thinking, how kind unchurched people really are. Have you ever thought about that, how kind unchurched people are? They're really kind. A little bit of a rainy morning this morning. They laid in, snuggled up with their kids, had a late breakfast so they could keep the roads clear for us to get to the meeting. <laughs> They're so kind, aren't they? <laughs> Just us and the golfers on the road today. <laughs> One message said it's how we see it, isn't it? Our gaze is our, will determine our days, that's right. See, I learned something this week. It's really great. One day I was in the house where I lived before, or a couple before where I live now, and we'd had a, le a leadership sort of time over a weekend, and we were meeting late in the afternoon on the Sunday or so, and Sunday morning I was just up, and I was just feeling a bit down really, and um, just thinking the time hadn't gone quite like we expected, etc., and I'm standing there and my neighbor is just out there shooting some hoops with his kids and he's a motivational teacher. He was with uh, Dale Carnegie and that and business teacher and he travels all the time, he gets this day, uh, you know, to be with his kids and he's shooting a few hoops and when the weather's good, they would go down to their family f farm or property down near the beach, down near Virginia Beach area there and um, four wheel on the dunes and that kind of thing and I'm just standing there thinking, God, how do I reach this guy for you? And as I was just standing there, I was thinking, somehow I've got to offer him more than taking off him the only free day he's got and ask him for 15% of his income. There's got to be something more in this kingdom life. Amen or oh me? Uh, just having some fun with you today, but it hit me that day, you know. I was going to take off him the only time he had with his kids all week if he came to join with us. And that wouldn't be all that bad, maybe, but it was just hit me as God, what are you going to do and what are we going to do as a new wineskin is released on the earth and the kingdom of God advances? 
Are we really ready for the changes and the shiftings and all that's going to happen to reach a world where it is today? Because we love what we do. We've loved it for 50 years. Since the last time God really moved on the earth. Not bad or anything. It's good, isn't it? It's great. We love it because we love one another and it's good to get together and get the hot coffee and worship some and hear the word and we're family here. But to really bridge the gap down in the nation where I live now in the USA, don't know what it's like here, but I guess it's much the, the same. We're going through such a developing, changing culture that life will never be the same again now. And I want to share just a little bit about some of that this morning with you. Are we ready for what's to come and are we ready for the shifts and changes that are going to need to be here as the kingdom advances to shift the world? We've had a wonderful few days together talking about kingdom grace. We've gone from Genesis to Revelation. We've gone through the covenants and back again and it's been wonderful. Understood something of his heart for us. But how's it going to practically work out around us? What's it going to look like? I don't have all the answers to those things, of course, but there's some things stirring in our heart. You know, it's said that um, when we said about grace, grace just broken down like we've carried it over the years is really God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, we often say half-jokingly just to provoke the thought, but God is good and he's good for nothing. It doesn't cost us a thing. Grace is an incredible thing, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. That all we live in, we have all the riches of God, joint heirship with Christ and everything, and he paid for it all. And that's become more real to me even over these last few days as we've gone through the covenants with Dean that's just really, just makes it more real than ever. We're facing into a world that many people in the world would say we're just entering into the fourth industrial revolution. And as we enter into the fourth industrial revolution, young people in a room like this are going to live in a world that's so vastly different even to what we're living in, even right now. When I teach on the fourth industrial revolution, sometimes people come to me after and say, never say this is what's coming, we're living in it. It's here, it's in my workplace, it's in my office, it's where I am. It's where life functions for us now. We had a leadership time in South Africa just last year, I think it was last year, and had some of our spiritual sons together and those that relate, there's probably 50 or 60 of us together in a room, and we beamed in or brought in a professor from Monash University in South Africa at that time, it's a branch of the Australian Monash University, and just to speak to us on the fourth industrial revolution. At the end, he simply made this statement. He's a believer, but he made this statement. He said, the great danger we face in the church is the world has shifted into the fourth industrial revolution and the church is living somewhere between the second and the third. As a professor that trains on this in university. That shook us. It's unbelievable. Some estimate that in the USA, the fourth industrial revolution, or AI as we sometimes say, artificial intelligence, that will probably replace 47% of USA jobs in the next few years. Are we really ready as a church for what's coming? 
Are we really ready to face the real issues? Or are we still somehow just hovering around something that the world's no longer there? It's going to be a tremendous challenge to us because the last time it was like it was 50 years ago or even beyond when major things shifted globally and world. Well, I won't go over that. We did that the other night a little bit. One man, just secular, you know, writing on us, not as a Christian, I think, said, in this fourth revolution, we are facing a range of new technologies that combine the physical, digital, and biological worlds. These new technologies will impact all discipline, economics, and in, in industries, and even challenge the ideas about what it means to be human. And what we agree with or disagree with or say it's this or that, the reality, it's upon us. And God's called us to reach this generation. It's going to be an incredible challenge because with this goes along and as I'm just sharing out of my heart with you today, we've gone through lots of scripture over these last few days. But with it, we're seeing a generation on earth form that is going to be the loneliest generation that's ever lived on the globe particularly in our Western culture. Some of us, even as parents and grandparents, have no idea where our kids and grandkids are living. In their minds, their hearts, their technology and everything around them, we think we understand at the times. You know, I remember early days in ministry, even up to a few years ago, I, I would sit and meet with youth that are, uh, sometimes just sit on the floor. I love to meet with kids and young teens and people and just sit on the floor and let them ask questions, anything they want about the kingdom or life or anything. A few years ago when we used to hang out after services like that, they'd ask you questions like this. If I listen to this kind of music, can I still be a Christian? If I go to this kind of movie, is it okay? Now they ask you if I commit suicide, am I okay still? Something's happened out there. We have no idea. Sometimes it's good just to hang out on the floor with kids and let them tell us what's really happening. Where they're really at. How they feel so lonely, misunderstood, uncared for, all these kinds of things. When you just look globally at what's going on, it is quite incredible. You know, there was an article, a lot of things, one of the, my spiritual sons write articles and blogs and things, and he wrote one on the loneliness out of Great Britain. You know, Mrs. May, who in a few weeks will no longer be Prime Minister of um, the UK because of the Brexit situation, but is a wonderful woman, really, a, a godly woman. And, um, but the, the, the loneliness of Great Britain became such a real thing over the last three or four years she actually, just over a year ago, appointed a minister for loneliness to deal with the issue nationally. It was a part of a portfolio that the Minister of Health was carrying, but just to identify it and define it. It's unbelievable. As we get into the Brexit situation in Britain, Joe Cox, who was a young Labour politician, a young lady, um, just saying that, just on the thing, was brutally murdered, really, at a, at a rally on the street in England by an extreme right-wing activist. I'm just simply saying that because of where the political situation was at that time. And Joe had said this. With very good reason, Joe Cox, she said, I did not want to live in a country where thousands of people 
are living lonely lives forgotten by the rest of us. In Britain, I'll say it there, I don't know Canada, but Britain has a population of 65.6 million people and of that number, 9 million claim to be lonely. Always or often, statistics say. Most people over the age of 75 live alone and this figure includes 200,000 who report not having a conversation with a friend or relative for more than a month. Sometimes I think we may have just found ourselves a comfortable pew and that's all we can think of to do and in the separated world outside, Christ re-crucified. We live in an incredible day for this kingdom advance to happen and the grace of God to be made manifest. I know it's a Sunday morning so I'm only flicking through a few things here. You know, Robin Williams who was a famous American through his, before his suicide. He was one of a number of celebrities who have taken their lives in recent years, and he made this comment. I used to think that the worst thing in the world was to end up alone. It is not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. You can come to a church meeting every Sunday morning of your life and go home lonelier than when you came. If situations are not dealt with in heart. Mental illness is often a tragic outworking and of isolation and stigmatism culture. But in a recent survey of 2,500 people in Britain, 66% had no one to speak to about money, relationships or mental health concerns and led to suicide. What is our role as a church in the kingdom? Releasing the grace of God into a culture that is hurting so bad. It's going to challenge us. But the great thing of it is it's going to give a release kingdom ways to every one of us to find those things released in our hearts and lives so we can fulfill the destiny that God's put on our lives. As we sometimes half joke about, but, but don't joke about, God's far more interested today, not so more interested than who goes to church and where the church goes. Because in the end, if we are not the salt and the light, the separation between that and the gulf is just getting wider and wider. I wasn't going to share too much about these things, but they're very real to me and very much with leaders that I work with that we're thinking through and unpackaging at the moment. You know, even uh, Elijah knew something. He's, and I alone am, am left. There is a loneliness that comes. At first glance, it would seem, I'll just read this a little bit. At first glance, it would seem that the internet should provide many additional ways for people to communicate with an ever-increasing group of friends. For some, however, it is clear that the internet tends to dilute existing friendships, increase a sense of isolation in an ever-increasing crowd. As Robin Williams said, the worst thing in the world is to end up with people who make you feel alone. See, I grew up in an age where the Beatles probably said it as clear as you could say it. All the lonely people 
Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Famous words written a long time ago, the chorus line of a song by the Beatles nearly 50 years ago now, when the last seismic shift of God was happening on the earth. There's a poignant irony to the lyrics of this song because it's about an old lady and a Catholic priest in a lonely dying church community. There is such a contrast between, oh, well, no one would come to listen to the priest's sermons and no one came to the lady's funeral. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? See, we're living in a, such a fast-shifting world. Sometimes I look and I think to myself, I wish I was just starting. Other times I look and think, dear God, I'm glad I'm not. I wouldn't even know how to start to attack it. An evangelist, a youth evangelist said to me early days in ministry, one thing you must never do with your daughters, because I had three daughters, we had three daughters, he said, you must never say to your daughters when I was their age, when I was your age. And for all those years, I never have. I've never said once to my daughters when I was your age, because I realize I never have been their age. I was there years, but I don't know their age. They've got to find God and the kingdom in an age that I know so little about, really. But I know a value pack that can carry them through their age, the same as the one that carried through ours. But I don't understand the age. You know, I grew up in school. If I was sitting next to, if there was a gay kid in our school, he was marked and for my grandson today in college or something, who's sitting next to a gay kid, it wouldn't affect him one bit at all. He was just another kid. And I'm glad for that. Do you understand what I mean? They don't see race or differences or things. Just a person is different to me. It's fine. But we're living in a world that's so changed. And how do we come up with a kingdom value pack that really affects and shifts and changes and brings all this through. Well, one thing we know through grace and through the kingdom, we can't work it out. See, I am not who I am because I do what God wants me to do. I do what I do, what God wants me to do because I am who God says I am. You see... You don't become because of what you do, but because of who you are, you do. And then you're never doing it under law, you're only doing it under grace and love and compassion. And you go home from the service and you knock on the door of your neighbour and say, thanks for keeping the road clear this morning. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> but you find reasons for reaching out. You know, we've had a lot to think about in recent weeks and months. I just want to skip through something here and just do something with you. This year, Marin and I, well, January 1 coming, the one coming, we've been married 50 years and Marin will turn 70 this year and I've known Marilyn um, now for 63 years. I often say Marilyn's uh, 50 years my wife and over 55 years my girlfriend. And... Uh, 
because we were dating when she was going out steady when she was 14 and I was 17 and I met her when she was 7 and I was 10. So I've not known any life without Marilyn, you know. And uh, we travel together. She's my secretary. I'm one of the few preachers around that can legally travel with their secretary. <laughs> and um, <laughs> legally and morally travel with their secretary. So it's fine. So, um, so we just live life together and uh, travel together. We together nearly every day and for most hours of every day until Marilyn said, I've just got to get out and have a break. Not from me, of course, but just from the press. No. The pressure of work. But, you know, when you live life a, a long way and you see things happen, I look around and I think, what is it that, that, that we look, what are the trends that we're looking for? What are the trends, what, what do we see happening in the body of Christ and the kingdom advancement? And when we talk about kingdom, the number one thing I want to say in this tier today is simply this, that the kingdom without the king is just dumb. <laughs> right? The kingdom without the king is just dumb. So when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about the focus of the king, aren't we? And, and the centrality of his will and his purposes. You know, a man, a man who taught on kingdom things in the USA, and I've just adjusted this a little bit, he made a very powerful statement. He said this, The day that Jesus, as a young Jewish rabbi, climbed the hill above Galilee, the world little knew that it faced a moment of historic change. In that brief um, period, the disciples seated on rocks and grass were the first to hear his gospel of the kingdom, the message by which he single-handedly changed world religion and philosophical thinking. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, of course. The message, um, philosophical thinking. Within a few decades, the gospel had turned the world upside down. Acts 17.6 says, beginning with the nation of Israel, which was thrown into immediate panic, to Rome, whose world domination ended and the slavery system abolished, Jesus' gospel of the kingdom brought cataclysmic change. 2,000 years later, that gospel is challenging the very church which it established in the beginning. The greatest call and need on the earth today is somehow for the gospel of the kingdom to get back into the very church it created. That's our biggest challenge. If we were to put a piece of paper around today and write, and I ask you just to write me a short paragraph on how do you live your life in the kingdom of heaven and how does that impact culture as you live it, we might struggle to even know what to put down or understand. Sometimes when I sit around with spiritual sons in the circle, we ask ourselves the question. We go around the room, we ask this question. Since we met six weeks ago, maybe that or a month ago or whatever, since we gathered together then, just share with one another how the kingdom has advanced on earth because you've lived. It's a challenging exercise. And then we just prophesy grace, grace, because if someone says, no, I can't see anything really shift, we say, that's great. This is not a works thing. This is simply encouraging us to be who God wants us to be. Others might say, I see a difference in my workplace. There's a whole atmosphere. Since I carry a reality that I'm a seed sown there, I notice the language is changing around the water cooler. Different things are altering and changing. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is always seed sown that brings change. God, the kingdom of God is never an oak tree. 
before it's an acorn. Amen. Amen. We live in a culture, we want the, the tree tomorrow. It's challenging the very foundation of where we are. So what are some of the trends I see as the kingdom's going? I look globally across nations, from, from third world situations into to Western culture. And one of the things we need to understand today is that the main thrust of Christianity on the earth today is not coming from the West. It's coming from the East. It's not coming from the North and the West. It's coming from the East and the South. That's a major shift in the earth and we've got to be fully aware of and understand. But I don't want to enlarge on that today. But here's just a few thoughts as we just wind out the weekend. One is this. Everywhere I am around the earth, I see an increased hunger for the kingdom message. We began teaching the kingdom message, I guess, about 50 years ago. 40 years ago, anyhow. And you're almost seen as a heretic if you talked about the kingdom of God on earth and something victorious happening here. Now you're almost a heretic if you don't. I remember Peter Wagner saying one time at a meeting that we were together in, that the greatest thing over 10 years of the last 10 years of his life, he said, the greatest thing that's happened in my 50 years of Christian ministry is in the last 10 years, the speed, the message of the kingdom has overtaken the world. He says, been the biggest shock to him, if you want, of everything that he had been through before. Increased hunger for the word of God. Matthew 10, 7 says, as you go, preach this, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Miles Monroe said this, if you preach anything else but the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you're in deception. He said you might be religious but you're certainly not preaching the gospel. I wouldn't say that. I'd just quote him saying it. <laughs> but I know what he meant, you see, because you cannot understand anything else about this life and walk unless you do understand the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus said, when you go, preach this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely if you receive, freely give. There's something of a, of a message that grips the heart. I was sitting with some spiritual sons just Friday night, just gone a week ago. And we're just sitting there together. And I said, you know, we travel together. Could we all, in 10, five minutes, if someone came to us, really show or testify or explain what we really mean when we say we believe in the gospel of the kingdom and how it affects our lives? What is it? So all the time that we've lived in it, we're growing all the time. I shared last night, someone was just talking to me about it before the meeting today but when you see the kingdom of God advancing in finances and economics we're in the process of seeing a bank get established to help fund up and coming kingdom entrepreneurs and companies and businesses to start all kinds of things that go on when you get a kingdom heart and you're moving forward in it but the reality of it is what is this kingdom and there's going to be there's just a growing hunger in people's hearts you know, when Jesus taught the Beatitudes, it's a very fascinating thing, really. Because the two times when he said, yours 
is the kingdom of heaven was poverty of spirit and persecution. That was a very interesting thing, wasn't it? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I've got good news for you. You want to understand the kingdom? There's going to be some persecution. That's good news. That's why the kingdom thrives best in the world in nations where they're persecuted. I remember being with a meeting of Chinese leaders at the height of their persecution one time and one young guy stood up and someone said to him, what, as a West, what can we best way serve you? And the young guy looked at us and said, stop praying for persecution to be lifted off us. Because it's made us who we are. We don't fear persecution, he said. We embrace it. I thought, well, that's for him. I don't particularly want to go there. I'm not looking for it. <laughs> but we need to understand, Jesus said, that will be the... But he said, also, blessed are the poor in spirit. What is poor in spirit? It's not, nothing to do with about money there. When we teach financial seminars, we enlarge a lot on that. But nothing about finance. Talking about a position where you come to the end of yourself and live only for him. We used to sing a hymn in years gone by. When I've reached the end of my hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. You see, there's a sense of getting to the end of self that releases God because when you get to the end of yourself, there's nothing to prove. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing when you get to the end of, when you get to a place in your life, ministry, whatever it is, and you're just comfortable in your own skin. You don't want to be anyone else. You don't have to be anyone else. You're not comparing yourself with anyone else. Insecurity is a thing of the past. You live free. What comes when Kevin was sharing around giving this morning, you know, and he talked about the three men with the three talents that were given to them. It's an interesting thing that the talents were never theirs. <laughs> they always belonged to the Lord. They weren't theirs. But that third talent guy, he challenged me for years of my young ministry in early years. Why did he do so wrong, God? I mean, he only kept it safe. Dug a hole, walked around it. <laughs> and you said he ends up where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not sure where that is, but it does seem a step on from the dentist. What did you do so wrong? I looked, I was struggling because early days in ministry, I wasn't sure which one I was. <laughs> was I that one or the other two? Were I taking risks or was I... And then, of course, Dave Wilkerson wrote a little book on it, a little article on it, and things came out way back in the 70s and all that kind of thing. And then I got revelation, it became real to me. But it's all in just one sentence, isn't it? It wasn't what he did, really. Never is. It's why you do it. Very rarely is it ever think to do with what you did. It's why do you do it? Why did he do it? All in one simple sentence. He said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. He had a wrong understanding of who his father was. So I was afraid and I buried it. 
See, a wrong understanding of God, that's why you've got to know whose you are before you can know anything else because a wrong understanding of who God is will lead you to a fear complex in your life and give you an obsession for safety and security. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. When you know he's a dad of grace and mercy and you go to bed tonight, he's not judging you on your performance, but he's just your dad. He might want to correct you out of his love. There's not, no conditions. He loves you. You know, I often get so challenged in my heart when I see still insecure believers. Sometimes I can turn on the television, the Christian preacher on or something, I can listen for two minutes and know whether he's ministering from something or trying to get something. Not judging, I'm just, I feel sad sometimes because I'm sure I was there at times. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. So I was afraid. And I buried it. If you don't know whose you are and who he is, you'll never find out who you are. You'll be forever on a search for identity, trying to get another gift, trying to get another release, travel the world for a prophecy. And I'm all for a prophecy. Give me a break. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, I might not get past point one here, might I? I'm in trouble. I can feel it. The prodigal son is the most incredible thing, isn't it? That story. Not so much the son that went off and messed up and ended up in the pigs, but the, the other son. When the first son came back, the, the one that was in rebellion came back and father threw a party for him. Scripture says a very remarkable thing. It says that other son, we heard the party was going on. He went to a servant in the house and said, what's going on in the house? You know, that's one of the saddest verses in the whole of the Bible. Do you know why? Because his dad was throwing a party. And to find out what was going on in the house, he had to go to a servant of his dad to find out because he never felt he had free access to his dad. And you can get on a plane, go all the way around the world looking for a prophecy where maybe all you had to do was say, Dad, what are you talking about? Because we'd sooner get to a servant of God than to Father. And I'm saying that in the person that prophesies over thousands of people who love it and believe in it. You understand what I mean? But why? At times. Something's happening. See, when you get to poor poverty of spirit, you get to the end of some stuff. Just say a couple more. There's a growing hunger in the world to understand the victorious eschatology. In other words, that we win. I'm thankful I come from a background where I never really knew anything else, but I realized later on in life some people did believe other things. But to really live with an understanding that we're here to win, and the Bible, in the end of it, we win. You know how many, in America where I live particularly, the reasons 
became so negative and an escapist mentality gripped a lot of believers was for some very good reason because music plays an incredible part in our life. That's why worship leaders, people who sing, we've got to be very careful what songs they sing because even a lot of modern songs out today are heresy. They're poetically correctness and things, but I'm not saying anything we're saying here. I'm just saying they're not truth. They just sound nice. And music's very powerful because, as kids know today, and we all know, that music is one of the most powerful things in the world because it can deal with your emotions and bypass your mind. I could tell you stories on that. I won't. When we got attacked by one of the biggest cults in the world in Brussels one time and had to flee into the downtown areas of Brussels, ended up in the club and listen to the music that was going on and before we get to the airport and get flown out, I won't go into all the details of what was happening there. But I saw stuff just going in that room as we just got into, because people were chasing us and things, and got into this place and I realised what was going on in the room was only young leaders at that time. And then I realised the words that were being sung were terrible. But no one in that room could understand the words. It was a different language. But what was happening was what the music was just making them do or the spirit behind it. So it's an incredible, powerful thing, music, isn't it? It's very powerful. It can uh, determine it. So in America where I live, a lot of early Christian gospel music came out of slavery. And as it came out of slavery, it was it was. In, Great, you know, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. As we cross over, you know, the River Jordan, there will be in the sweet by and by. And for them, for the slave, it was absolutely correct. They could not have one potential, even glimpse of freedom while they were here. They were owned treated badly, many of them, I'm not making the statements here, just saying what it was. So out of their cry for freedom came these songs. And I live in a nation that built its theology on it. Yeah, when we leave here and get over, we cross the River Jordan, get to heaven, it will be in the sweet by and by. Everything will be great. But most of this book, the Bible, it's not about when we get there, it's about living here. It's about the kingdom coming to earth, not us going to heaven. It's about the world changing. It's about life here. Because we live with an incredible hope. We win. Amen. And one of the great trends I see on the earth is just a growing, growing awareness. However it all ends in the end, I'm not one who can cross every T, dot every I, what's going to happen in every situation. But the overall narrative is we win. There's going to be an increased shift, and I want to say this, and I normally would only say this in leadership, so I'll say it just generally. But there's going to be an increased shift from church planting to kingdom planting. And I'm not going to enlarge too much on that, but that's one of the trends that I see. That when we go to a town, a new area, a suburb, we ask ourselves this question, not so much, God, will I plant a church? We do that in our Church of the Nations family because we don't want to just put our flag up everywhere, we ask a different question. We say, God, for your kingdom to come to this area, what do you want to do? 
I was standing in uh, Honduras up on a mountain one time watching over the, looking over a slum. I was standing there with a spiritual son who's a very mature man and he looked at me and he said, Dad, or no, he said, Tony, he said, look, he said, you as my dad and me as a son, with what we now understand as we walk this walk now for so long, if we wanted to see something happen for God down in that slum, what would we do? And as we looked, we looked at one another and said, we're not going to rent a hall, hire a band, and try to get a few people to rattle around in the building while we sing a few songs. We're probably not even going to start a church in a home because there's not many homes. They're mostly just huts and they're broken. Maybe we start a medical clinic. Maybe we'd start something on financial advice. Maybe we'd do something on upliftment. Maybe we'd do something on how, to, uh, from an entrepreneur place, to start to do something with the employment situation. The end result is there's going to be a community of people raised up. We'll call it the church and uh, to govern the affairs of what's going on, whatever that might look like. But what is our goal? What is our aim? Our aim is to say, your kingdom come, Lord, here on earth. We're going to have to think through some of these things. Another trend I see that's very powerful, well, there is a disdain for religious systems, and we're going to have to wrestle that through. I won't go into that one too much. But the increased hunger for authentic Christianity is another great cry out there. People don't want the theory. There's a young generation alive today that doesn't want just the theory. They want it to work. It's got to be real. It's got to find its, its existence. The last time there was a seismic shift on the earth 50 years ago, the charismatic movement, the Jesus people movement, then all the waves of blessing that's gone through the 50 years since, mostly it's been about us, how we get blessed, what God has done for me. This time, it's going to be about them. Him and them. It's going to shift. It is shifting. The trends are strong out there already. You can talk to you. I can talk to young people today. And they love to get touched by God. If they get hit to the floor and laugh, if there's some gold and some oil. You know, I've been in meetings where we've had so much gold we've thrown it over the heads of the worship band and it's all fallen over and they've all crashed everywhere I've been in meetings where the oil's flowing so much in leaders meetings we bottle it and from 10 years ago I've still got it bottled the oil flowing so much I've been in meetings where I've walked around a man who has a flow of oil follows through me holds his hands over my hands like this fills my hands with oil and as we throw it over people they just get healed I've seen a lot of things I've seen, I'm only just saying that just to say it's been wonderful. I love gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge, you know. I had some going through my head last night in the meeting, but, you know, just some people here and some things that were going on. I was in a meeting in Argentina. God gave me a word one, one day. There's three people in the meeting. They're about to commit suicide. And I gave the word. Three people here about to commit suicide. Come forward now and you can be delivered. Two people came. And I, I'm not a shouter, but I shouted a bit. I said, there's a third person. As I did, the doors at the back of the building open. In walked a woman, walked straight down the aisle, came to the front, opened up a purse or handbag, took out a gun and gave it to me. Said, I was on my way to commit suicide, and you called me in from the street. 
So I've seen a lot. I'm only saying that, no boastfulness or anything, just to say, I've seen it's wonderful. I've laid on the floor, I've laughed, I've rolled, and I'm not, it's great, but something is shifting. We're going to see all of that, don't get me wrong, because God doesn't move on from, he builds upon. Amen? He's not moving on from, he's building upon. But what is happening with his building upon? Just touch a young generation, you'll begin to hear it. Because they love to work, they'll be involved, but for them, for it to be the Holy Ghost, it's not just if they get touched and blessed. For them to really be the Holy Ghost, it's got to give a home for the orphan. It's got to give a voice for those who have no voice. It's got to give justice where there's injustice. There's a cry in their heart for social reformation. They want to see this world change. Why? Because they've got impregnated with a kingdom heart now. And it will never go back to where it's just about me. And we're going to have to wrestle with that. Because what turned my generation and those who are 40, 50 on in a room like this, what turned us on a lot may not turn them on in the same way. And you might wonder why they don't want to come to a service or a thing we're doing. It might not be because they're backsliding. It might not be because they're not even hungry. It might be they just don't get it anymore. And their eyes are seeing something different. It's a great challenge for someone who's as old as me, and I'm old. (laughs) As old as me, is to realize I can't bring the answer to that anymore, but I can help father a generation who can. And if I'm going to help father a generation who can, I can't father them to do it the way I would like it done. I've got to father it in a way that releases them into their destiny. Another thing is we're going to have to, there's a great hunger and a trend to really understand biblical economics. In the financial world, if the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our God, a day is coming when the tax systems of the governments of the world are going to operate on the way kingdom finances operate. Biblically, there is amounts, percentages, Allows And when you see nations begin to bend that way, a nation like Switzerland, still one of the strongest financial places in the world, operate on about a 12, uh, on about a 13 to 14 and a half tax system nationwide, everything put in. It's about exactly the same as the way the kingdom of heaven operates. That's why they've never gone through financial breakdown. I've got about a 10 to 12% federal tax at times, 2% canton tax. Heads up to that to about, about what first fruits tithe or ministry of the poor exactly hangs, hangs up to. There's going to be a major shift. The world's economy has to move. It cannot exist like it is with a top percentage of a few people getting all the breaks, a bottom percentage paying nothing, and the middle class getting poorer while they just try to fund the rest. It can't work that way. It's not the way God does it. Biblical economics, everyone pays a share because all percentage based. And if you look at it radically working out in the globe where we are, you see nations begin to shift there. We've had tax shifts down where we are, but in the last federal election in the USA, 
if uh, President Trump hadn't been elected, one or two of the other candidates that might have, uh, Carson, one or two others, they were pushing very much to go to a flat 10% tax system or a 15% tax system. Nations are going to be thinking about it. Now, why? And why do we have to live in it in the kingdom of heaven? Because kings and rulers are coming to the brightness of our rising. And they're going to say, with our economic systems collapsing, how come it works for you guys? That's going to be the huge challenge. Amen? We've got to think these things because there's business people, financial people in a room like this today. The things are stirring in their heart. How do we lay hold of kingdom principles and see business and everything go where it helps ushers in the return of the king? And I just want to finish with this one. There's plenty more I was going to say, but just finish with this one. There's an increased understanding in our kingdom grace message because we're kingdom preachers and we believe it all happens through grace, right? That's why we've been meeting here. The increased understanding that although our salvation and our life is not by good works, the outworking of the kingdom is. Not through effort, not through striving, like we've learned over these days. But we're here to do good. We're here to make a difference. We're here to bring change just in our life. You know, John Wesley said a, a great quote, didn't he, when he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. Do good. We ought to be do-gooders. People say, those Christians, they just do good. We ought to be. Amen. St. Francis of Assisi said this, be a witness all day, every day, and when necessary, use words. There's something about our life that ought to be changing culture and people around us. You go out for a morning walk and you're walking in your neighborhood. Let the kingdom come through your journey. She you walk past homes in your neighborhood, just speak over them. Father, I just pray over those homes there that in there you'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. Heal the loneliness, heal the broken hearts. Because although we're not going to be work-driven, we are going to be carriers of a kingdom that changes life. Acts 10, 38, in the greatest grace time the church ever knew, said how God anointed, um, quoting Jesus, it said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing the sick that were oppressed of the devil and God was with him. There's just something about that double release of the Holy Ghost in our heart. Like it said about Jesus then, he, he, he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. The disciples were with Jesus one day when he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then he said to them, now go to Jerusalem and get power. They were anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went around doing good. 
So your world changes. Not because you think, oh, if I don't do this, God can't love me, or I just get under legalism and bondage, but just to have a heart to bring change. To be able to walk into your place of employment, like I said the other night, tomorrow morning, into your college, into your school, wherever you are, to walk in there and say, for God so loved this place, he gave it me. I'm a seed of the kingdom sown here. And because I'm here, a tree of righteousness is going to grow. Because God sowed an acorn. And his name was Tony, Mary, Fred, John. See, I want to just encourage you as we wind out these days of meetings that the king is coming. He's coming to a kingdom prepared for him. And it's going to manifest every grace of who he is as we live so totally, fully, completely blessed in the Abrahamic covenant we've been born into. Amen? Amen. So I want to believe with you today. It's time to go. The anointing that's just on some of your lives. The calls. I'd love to sit with some of you young and say, what is it that motivates your heart? What do you, what do you dream? What do you want to be? I just love when I see you. You're such an inspirer. I'm just talking about your daughter. It's okay. But inspirers around the room, it's dream time. Dream the impossible dream. And then prophesy over it, grace, grace. Watch God. When Mara and I set out to go to the Salvation Army College to train in 1970 for two years, three couples left our church at the same time. And people said, Tony and Marilyn won't make it, they'll be back. (laughs) They won't make it. I got excommunicated and our lives basically destroyed, arrived in England, set apart from everything, hardly anyone to know, arrived with Marilyn, $200, two suitcases, two kids and a team of 10 people, wondering if we were even saved. Now the message you believe won't work there, it wasn't even working in us. That's 40 years ago and out of all that wreckage, God raised up something that's in 50 nations around the world now. How? Grace, grace. I tell you, I can't look. Huh? And availability. Mara and I look at one another sometimes and say, why us? And we smile and we just say, because people in college with us preach better, they talk better, they believe better, they prayed better. I got through the prayer thing really because God's given me incredible intercessors, I think. I do pray, but one of my, my main intercessors has prayed for Marilyn and I every day of her life, prayed through for over 35 years, and she's reaching close to the end of her life right now. We're going to England to be with us very soon, a couple of weeks, or three or three, four weeks. Single lady that's prayed for us all the way through. I realize 
I am who I am today, like Paul said, through the grace that worketh in me, not through my effort. But one day we looked at one another and said, God, why us? And, and we often said it before, because one day we said, any place, any time, anywhere, we're available. And we learned there's something God can do with your availability he can't even do with your spirituality. You can be the most spiritual person in the world and not available. That's why get your finances sorted out, get everything sorted out so you're available for God to do with you what he wants to do. I'll be careful or I'll start to preach. <laughs> uh, I can say what I like today. I'm going home this afternoon. <laughs> no, it's always great. The last session when you're leaving town, it doesn't matter what you say, you know. <laughs> no. But we love you guys. Want to believe if you're going to affect your town, you're not going to affect it by just coming up with another program, another good idea. Say to my young leaders all the time, they've just got another good book on how to build a successful church. I say, learn what you can from it, but remember one thing. The guy who wrote that never had it when he started his church. He never had the book. People used to go to Yongi Cho all those years ago when that was where all the planes flew to. That's how old I am, way back then. And they'd say, Yongi, what's the secret to success? Pray and obey. And they went back and said, we've got the answer. Cell groups. <laughs> and churches split all over the Western world. Won't go there. Oh, I just did, sorry. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you for kingdom grace. I thank you for the king. I thank you, Lord, when he chose us, he took all the risks. He took all the risk. When he gave us authority, he took all the risk. But he loves us enough, warts and all, to help us through it, to walk us through. Just while you're sitting there, just in his presence for a moment, I just want to say this to you. You know, I used to hear songs in the old days, and I'd say, you know, we are the hands of God, and we are his eyes and his feet and all that. And almost saying God couldn't do it without us. I had to come to a reality in my life, and I, I don't know if it's for everyone or not, but a reality in my life, that I really don't believe God really needs me. I really believe he could do it without me. Totally. He could just knock another Paul off a, a Saul off a horse and make him a Paul. For me, the awesome thing about being allowed to do what I do is that God has chosen to allow me to be a part of his, what he wants to do. That's the mystery of it to me. Not that he couldn't do it without me somehow, although I know he needs us in that sense, but that he allows us to be in his plan and his purpose because he so wants his kids involved in the, in the life of it. And so I speak over your life today. I prophesy over your grace, grace. We prayed over many the other night for a father's blessing, etc. But I just want to speak over your life tonight. 
Listen to all that's been said over these last few days again. Understand the covenant that you're living in, the new covenant that God has lifted us over all the covenants of the law and other covenants and dropped us back into that Abrahamic covenant and we are blessed because he's blessed and we're blessed in him. Understand it, get it in your heart that you can't make it work but then say to God, here I am, wholly available. Just let it happen through me. And you'll be surprised where you'll end up, where you'll meet, what you'll do. I'm amazed sometimes at the people God's allowed me to just to touch through life and be there, be at a certain place at the right time. I just pray a blessing over you today. Pray a Father's blessing over you. Not that I'm the Father in the house here, but just to pray a Father's blessing over you today. That you always keep your heart wide open. Let his revelation burn within your heart. Take seeds and let them become trees. Let the kingdom grow. And for continually, forever declare, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be blessed. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Tony and Marilyn, as I said on Thursday night, uh, God has used you. Why you? Because God always takes the path of least resistance. And you guys have just opened yourself to God and said, here am I. Use me. God said, deal. I can do that. And the good news is that he, do, he will do that with every one of us. Amen. We pull out the stops, remove all the obstacles. God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing, amazing time we've had together today. We thank you, Lord, uh, for uh, Tony and Marilyn and the, the, the way that you are using them around the world. Father, we thank you that we've had the privilege of having them here again in our house. Uh, you know, why do we get to be blessed like that? Because we have made ourselves available for them to come. And, uh, you know, and so they're like, kind of like Father God. They're saying, yeah, I'll walk through that door. It's open and uh, there's, there, the resistance is not there. I'm there. I'm going to pour out my heart. So, Father, we thank you for that and we thank you for your blessing released through them today. We pray God will take everything that's been said and, and uh, Father, that has been imparted uh, this weekend and, Lord, uh, that we will... Water it, nurture it, cause it to grow in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have an amazing week. Corporate prayer Tuesday night. Don't miss it. God bless you.